Welcome to MCC from the Capitol, a podcast produced by the Missouri Catholic Conference. We invite you to listen along as our host and executive director, Jamie Morris, sits down with MCC lobbyist Kurt Wickmer to discuss public policy issues from a Catholic perspective. We hope you enjoy this episode of MCC from the Capitol. Welcome to the Missouri Catholic Conference from the Capitol Podcast with our second legislative roundtable of the session. I'm your host, Jamie Morris. With me again today is our lobbyist, Curtis Wickmer. Kurt, how are you doing today? Doing great. Happy to be here. Good. So we are in spring break as we're recording this. It is the Friday of the legislative spring break. We have made it halfway. Before we get too far on, Kurt, as a new lobbyist this year, what did you think of the first half of your first year here? Well, honestly, you know, two houses of legislature is a lot to cover for two lobbyists. And mercifully, the House, I think, has been very organized and honestly kind of kind of slow to act in a lot of cases. I, I expected the House to have a, a much higher volume of bills that they would be sorting through and putting into committee. But for the most part, it's been fairly quiet in the House this half of the session. It, it really has. This has been probably kind of the slowest filtering of bills through committee uh, at this point in time in the House that I've seen in my time here. Not necessarily a bad thing. Hope that doesn't mean that the second half of session, the floodgates will open, but we'll see. But it has. It has been a very manageable session thus far. And, and I think that's a credit to the leadership in both chambers that have been really focused this session on trying to move you know, their priorities along. But again, we will be starting you know, the second half of session next week and very soon after the start of session, budget will be worked on um, and, and they'll just, they'll get right back into it. So as far as us here at the conference, um, you know, we just want to give a quick update on a few things we're working on and looking at. First and foremost, not from necessarily the legislative end, but just an update on some uh, initiative petitions that were recently filed in the state. We had over a dozen initiative petitions filed from the same group about a week ago. They're all a little bit different, but would all seek to erode some of Missouri's pro-life laws and would put those up to a vote for a constitutional amendment at the next general election. Obviously, that's something we are concerned with, especially in a post-Dobbs world and in a world where Missouri has very strong pro-life protections, you know, one of the biggest areas of concern would be um, someone putting in a right to an abortion in the Constitution. And so, you know, we are keeping a very close eye on that. They've just been filed. Where we are in the process is the Secretary of State is currently reviewing each proposal. And for any individual that wants to submit comments, the Secretary of State's office is currently accepting comments. And so if you go to the Secretary of State's office, you can find the proper links if you want to go and comment on any or all of the initiative petitions. After that point, the groups would be allowed to go out and collect signatures. And then if they get enough signatures, then it would be put on the ballot. So we plan to keep our network up to date on that as they progress through the process. Um, I guess would be that one or two of those, you know, will be the vehicle that they'll coalesce around one or two of those proposals. So we're keeping an eye on it and we'll continue to update you as things go on. From the legislative point of view, um, you know, there are a few things that we have been working on that seem to be moving in the legislature. Um, first and foremost, you know, let's just start with kind of how we finished session. 
with gender treatment legislation. In the Senate, there have been multiple bills filed in both chambers that would seek to ban transgender therapies for minors. And before spring break, one of the bills came forward in the Senate sponsored by Senator Mike Moon and immediately faced a Democratic filibuster that lasted, you know, roughly speaking, two legislative days. The Democrats held the floor while both parties tried to negotiate some sort of way forward for this bill. Um, Just to give kind of a background of how the Senate operates is they have a procedural maneuver that they can use in the Senate called calling the previous question. This is done almost daily in the House. In the Senate, it is frowned upon, but it's a way that the majority party can stop debate, can stop a filibuster, and take a vote on a particular bill. In the Senate, where tradition plays very big, the majority party tends to not use the previous question or use that maneuver early in session, because when it happens, it's sort of like the nuclear option in the Senate, that once it's used, you can pretty much guarantee that nothing else is going to be done in the Senate the rest of session. And so that's why when people ask you, why would they be negotiating this out if there's a supermajority of Republicans and a super minority of Democrats? Tradition seems to always indicate that you know, the majority party does not want to call the previous question and wants, they're trying to find a way to get something passed that will allow the Democrats to sit down and stop their filibuster. So there were two days of debate. The sides could not come to an agreement seemingly. And so kind of surprisingly, it was on Wednesday prior to spring break that the floor leader, Senator Laughlin, adjourned for spring break, gave him an extra day you know, I know, Kurt, you kind of joked that, you know, in, in your naivety assumed, hey, they're going out a day early. They'll be back, uh, you know, Wednesday of next week. And not quite the way that goes, is it? It's, uh... No, I'm, I can only assume that they adjourned early because of the filibuster. And they, they realized that's all that they were going to be doing until the break started. Now, I'm wondering in the extra time off, maybe they've finally figured out whether or not they're going to call the previous question or if there are going to be some senators out there who might want to finish up some of their own personal bills first before they address this issue here. That's one, you know, we're following very closely and we'll continue to update you on as it progresses. Another area um, where we've seen a good bit of movement and interest on a bipartisan basis is child care tax credits. We have multiple bills out there now from, you know, both the House and Senate that would provide some level of tax relief or a tax credit for either businesses setting up child care services, for individuals seeking child care services, or employers that want to help provide child care assistance. And, you know, we have a House Bill 1335, which was recently filed from Representative Hannah Kelly, and it comes at it at a little different way. What the intent of this bill is, is to invest in our families, to remind families that we want them to go to work and we want to support them as they build their life and build their future. The federal government in at least 25 states allow parents to claim a tax credit based on their child care expenses. Missouri, however, is not one of these states that has a state version of tax credit for child care. House Bill 1335 would create a similar tax credit in Missouri known as the Success Tax Credit. Missouri's tax credit would be aimed at helping parents who already qualify for the federal version of the tax credit. 
So that was heard before spring break. And then we have other bills, as I said, in the House and Senate that would provide tax credits ranging from for employers, for parents. And so all that is to say, this has been a priority of Governor Parson and his administration. Individuals in both the Republican and Democratic parties have focused on this issue, um, whether it be, you know, we, we have pro-life groups that have come in saying it's a pro-life issue. Obviously, we have chambers of commerce coming in saying it's a workforce issue. So there are a lot of interest and a lot of different groups that are really pushing for this. So my hope is, is that I don't know what the final vehicle will look like to get this across the finish line. But the hope is, is that something will be passed, you know, and, and for anyone that wants, you know, any additional information on, say, the child care crisis that Missouri is currently facing and some of the proposals, uh, we are here at the MCC planning for our next good news publication here in, in a few weeks to kind of give a, a quick overview of the crisis and some of the proposals out there to address it. So, that's one that I, I think will continue to move as session resumes. Another area, speaking of tax credits, are adoption tax credits. And Kirk, I know you followed these. Do you want to give us a quick update on some of those? Yeah, sure thing. So this is another tax credit bill by Representative Hannah Kelly. House Bill 714 is in regards to the refundable adoption tax credit. The adoption tax credit allows taxpayers to claim up to 10000 for non-recurring adoption expenses. The tax credit used to only be allowed for adoptions of special needs children from Missouri who cannot easily be placed for adoption. In 2021, the Missouri General Assembly joined together in passing two bills to make any adoption, public or private, qualified for the tax credit and raise the annual cap of the tax credit from $2 million to $6 million. The adoption tax credit is currently non-refundable. The bill being presented today would make the adoption tax credit refundable starting in 2024. It would also remove the annual cap on the tax credit. And if I might add a personal anecdote to this, I was in the Capitol building at the beginning of session and a grandmother came up to me and said, thank you to all of us who collectively worked on this together and showed me a picture of a little girl that has a forever home because of the work that we all did together on the adoption tax credit. And that was such such a blessing to be firsthand recipient of, but I also share it with the members of this committee because we work together on that collectively across party lines. We've covered this tax bill in the past in our most recent podcast. And under Kelly's bill here, House Bill 714, parents would have the opportunity to receive up to $10,000 to cover these one-time expenses in excess of whatever their amount of taxes paid are. So this could be more than, if they say pay $8,000 of taxes in a year, they could still receive up to $10,000 if the one-time payment was in the amount of $10,000 or more. Yeah. And this is, again, is another area that we have focused on in the past and, and been in support of to help those couples that are wishing to adopt. And so as Kurt said, it would, it would be a fully refundable tax credit. And so we have been in support of that as well. Additionally, there's also Senate Bill 455, which is practically word for word, the exact same as House Bill 714. And I believe Senate Bill 455 is pushed by Senator Stephen Roberts. Yes. And so it, it has yet to be heard in the Senate. And then Hannah Kelly's bill Hannah Kelly's bill is scheduled for executive session on Tuesday, uh, March 21st, I believe. And then I can only imagine it'll be voted due pass. They seem to be moving along pretty quickly with these items on the House agenda. Very good. 
Um, another area that we have been working is postpartum care and basically extension of Medicaid postpartum benefits to low-income women, much like the last topic. We've covered this in prior podcasts, but what it would seek to do is extend the amount of time that women could be eligible for Medicaid benefits from 60 days postpartum to one year postpartum. This bill, uh, Senate Bill 45, which was combined with Senate Bill 90, has been heard in committee and was voted out of the Senate prior to spring break, but not without a little bit of controversy. During the committee hearing, there were some questions raised about the potential for post-abortive women to potentially receive benefits as the bill was written. I don't know that as a practical matter that that, that was the way the bill was written. But having said that, there was amendment added that many Democrats, I think, are, are claiming and fear will put the extension of coverage out of compliance with the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services who oversees the Medicaid program. And so when it hit the Senate floor for debate and for third reading and final passage before it went over to the House, there were a lot of Democrats that stood up and publicly stated that they did not really support the bill as currently written with that provision attached, but went ahead and voted for the bill because they liked the program, they liked the intent of the bill, and their hope is is that when it moves to the House, that the House of Representatives will, in their words, fix the bill, basically pass out a clean version without the abortion provision. What was interesting about that is whereas you had some Democrats that didn't like the bill as written voting for the bill and voting for passage, there were two Republicans um, who actually voted against the third reading and passage. One of the two specifically stated on the floor that, you know, she was a very pro-life senator and has always voted such, but it's not been the opinion of the pro-life movement to punish post-abortive women. Mr. President, I'm reluctantly speaking against the bill. I believe that our social safety net program should help the most vulnerable. I think it should be for a defined period of time and have clear ways for those people to get out of dependency. I've also been an ardent pro-life advocate my entire life. And one of the things that I find particularly distressing is when people start to try to punish women for the coercion that they experience and carving out a class of people for a procedure we cannot diagnose or enforce to make ourselves feel better is not something I can support. So I hope that that is addressed in the House, and um, I send my regrets to the senior senator from Jefferson. And so she voted on those grounds, seemingly, you know, um, you know, kind of pushing back against this thought that even if someone does have an abortion, you know, we've never sought to criminalize that act when it comes to the mom. And in this instance, you know, that woman could be coerced, that woman could be pressured, by, you know, whether it's family, boyfriend. And so is it really just to pull healthcare benefits from those women in that situation? And so, you know, Senator Coleman also expressed her wish prior to the vote that the House removes that provision and just passes a quote-unquote clean version of Medicaid expansion. So that will be heard in the House, and we'll see where they go from there. Another bill that we've talked about previously was a campus religious liberty bill. This is House Bill 136, 
from Representative Hudson. What you have before you is a short, narrowly written bill that solves a very specific problem. Since 2010 across the country, belief-based student groups on many public university campuses have been told that they have to change their beliefs in order to be registered as a student organization. Adverse action by colleges against belief-based student groups has resulted in unnecessary and costly litigation between students and their own universities. For example, as recently as 2021, after a ruling by the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals against the University of Iowa, that state was forced to pay a judgment of almost $2 million. That case began in 2017 when the university told a small evangelical campus ministry that they were not allowed to require the leaders of the group to agree with its statement of faith. In 2016, a similar issue arose at Southeast Missouri State University, and while it was ultimately resolved without litigation, faith-based student groups uh, were forced to retain legal counsel in order to protect their First Amendment rights against a threat from a Missouri public university. This, in my view, should never have to happen. House Bill 136 is designed to protect a long-standing practice in Missouri where student groups of all creeds and points of view are free to operate as registered student clubs and to require that their leaders adhere to the group's sincerely held beliefs. Uh, it would just protect the rights of those religious or belief-based campus organizations from discrimination on college campuses. We testified in support of the bill, and the bill was voted out of committee prior to spring break. I think last year it got passed out of the House, which is as far as it had ever made. So we're hopeful that, that it at least is heard very soon in the House and then moves on to the Senate for further consideration. Another area is expansion of school choice or educational opportunities. Other than some of the bills dealing with gender, education has been maybe one of the most popular subjects as far as bills that were filed in the first half of session. We have a lot that we are keeping an eye on that run the gamut from setting up a broad school choice system, whereas money follows the child and a parent can take the state's share of money and apply that to any school in the state, whether it be public, private, or parochial. We have some bills out there that would just allow um, you know, an expansion of our current empowerment scholarship programs that we're utilizing in the state and kind of everything in between. You know, another area that we have not taken a position on, but even just general open enrollment for public school students to another public school. And so as with some of these other issues we've talked about, this has been a big focus of the Republicans. And so what the final product looks like at the end of the day I can't really tell you. Um, we're still waiting for Senator Coleman's Senate Bill 81 that we discussed last time. I'm still waiting for it to be heard on the Senate floor. And so I think they're probably in the middle of negotiations would be my guess as to how best, one, to proceed and what does the bill look like that goes forward? You know, is it a broad school choice bill? Is it more pared down and utilizing the system we already have in place for ESAs? But the hope is, is that the will is there to at least get something done this year. And then finally, going to criminal justice, Kerb, would you like to tell us about where we're at on uh, some of the good time credit bills? Yeah, criminal justice is another one of those areas this session that's received a heavy amount of focus. And I believe Representative Shields has pushed House Bill 119 
It covers a lot of different House bills that were previously on the docket. I believe it among those bills that it kind of enveloped were House Bill 372 and 382, which were provisions that would change good time credit and how it's awarded to inmates. Under House Bill 119, in addition to setting a maximum amount of cost for outgoing calls from prison, it also would set up good time credit provisions within the criminal justice system of Missouri. It would lower the date that a prisoner could receive a, a parole hearing for early release based on a certain amount of classes taken in prison or volunteer hours, community service, that sort of thing. Naturally, shortening the amount of time before a prisoner can receive a parole hearing does not automatically mean that the prisoner will receive this early release. That is still up to the discretion of the parole board. It would also allow the time that a prisoner spends awaiting a verdict or a sentencing to apply to their prison sentence. So say if they wait maybe 60 days between the, the verdict and sentencing, um, they would be able to have that amount of time count towards their sentence. We support this measure because it makes the judge and the court system more inclined to make sure that the case is brought in a timely manner and the prisoner isn't held for a protracted amount of time, certainly not held longer than they have to, especially if they're innocent. And as we discussed last time, for those who are incarcerated, it would also try to encourage good behavior and good activities for those that you know are incarcerated, just so they maybe can gain that opportunity for an earlier release, correct? Yep. It's easier to be drawn in with the short-term goal of having that uh, that earlier release or the opportunity for an earlier yeah. release, but it also establishes you know, good habits and education and training, especially when that's done in prison can be incredibly helpful once they're released. Very good. So we know that was a lot that we covered very quickly, um, but you know, those are the bills that uh, were seeming to be moving at the first half of session. Obviously second half of session, as we joked about, who knows the floodgates may open and bills start getting attached to other bills and kind of have an idea of what we think is going to have happen, but you just never know. But for those that kind of want more information about our entire agenda um, and, and where all the bills that we are tracking and have positions on where those are in the process, I would encourage folks to just check out our website at mocatholic.org. That is mocatholic.org. And you will find our current progress report. And so I, I highly encourage those that are interested in one more information to check that out. And again, you know, thank you, Kurt, for joining me today. And best of luck, you know, as you embark on the second half oh, of you, your you first session. You wish that to yourself, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, but no, thank you, everyone, uh, for joining us today and for listening. And uh, we hope you join us next time on MCC from the Capitol podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of MCC from the Capitol. Thanks to GovWatch for the House and Senate audio clips. To hear more from the Missouri Catholic Conference, visit our website at mocatholic.org. That's mocatholic.org. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app.